Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We have a tremendous episode today, okay? We're coming off of probably the best week of playoff football maybe anyone's ever seen. Every game, or I think three out of the four games, decided by a field goal as time expired. Uh, it was... Actually, I think uh, I think all of it, all of them were decided by a field goal in the closing minutes, um, except for the Chiefs Bills. But it was tied at the end of regulation with a field goal. So every game down to the wire, uh, super competitive. You had uh, super competitive games like the Chiefs and Bills, which were just back and forth touchdowns between two of probably the best quarterbacks, maybe one and two of the best quarterbacks. Um, like number one and number two in the entire NFL with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And then you had other games that were a bit more low scoring and really you felt like whoever scored multiple touchdowns was going to win with the Niners and Packers. Uh, devastating loss for Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers getting clowned on social media and some really bad, just not a good look for them and the Packers organization after everything that's happened. Um, Losing to the 49ers, where you only scored 10 points and your defense didn't allow an offensive touchdown, you still lost, is insanity. We get to go over all these games. We'll do a championship uh, weekend preview for next Sunday, of course. But before we get into all the football, we have baseball news. So the lockout. Uh, I think they had two successful meetings in a row. Uh, still not any news in terms of uh, ending the lockout and what date that could probably happen. Um, but regardless, that's some good news. Other than that, though, of course, we had the Hall of Fame. Uh, inductees were announced, and of course, because those losers at the baseball Writers Association of America, they only voted in one person, and it was David Ortiz. Out of all the people on this list, David Ortiz, a guy who has connection to steroids, is the one who gets in. There, I have to talk about this a lot, okay? So, to preface this, David Ortiz absolutely 100% is a Hall of Famer. In no way, shape, or form am I saying he does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He is a Hall of Famer. However, there is hypocrisy here. Because the BBWAA is old and antiquated, and there are... I could probably go through the list of them, and if you just give me everyone's voting ballots and I get through them, I will tell you which ones deserve to be on the list and get the privilege to vote and which ones should be kicked out. Because I know for a fact there are writers out there who submit ballots with no votes for anyone. They won't cast a single vote. They'll hand in a blank ballot, which is such a slap in the face to the voting process. And like it, it's just such a pretentious, snot-nosed thing to do. And there are a ton of them out there that just do not deserve this privilege to vote. David Ortiz getting in is correct. David Ortiz getting in over Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, 
Alex Rodriguez, and probably a couple of other guys on that ballot is not correct. Andrew Jones is still not on the Hall of Fame. A travesty. Uh, the three big guys here, of course, Andrew Jones is like a personal gripe, but the three big guys who have been snubbed here are A-Rod, Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Barry Bonds. Ortiz got in with 77.9% of the vote. He's the only one who got in. Barry Bonds collected 66% of the vote. Roger Clemens collected 65.2%. Kurt Schilling, 58.6%. And then Sammy Sosa had 185 But Sammy Sosa cheated in more ways than just steroids. He was never going to get in. Um, A-Rod came in at 34.3% on his first year on the ballot. It's sad, dude. It is uh, pretty despicable that Bonds and Clemens didn't get in. You could say what you want about Kurt Schilling, whether he was a borderline Hall of Famer or not, but the media didn't like him, so he was never going to get in. Bonds, the greatest baseball player to have ever lived, did not get in. There's steroids users, yes. Ortiz used steroids. He got in because the media likes him. So this is the bottom line, and this is the complete hypocrisy that I was talking about is that if you're letting David Ortiz in, a guy who was on the Mitchell Report, uh, known for cataloging multiple steroid users and proving to be like 95% true in most cases, Ortiz definitely used steroids. I mean, you could just look at his baseball reference page and you can point to the exact date that he started using steroids. When he came to the Red Sox, Because I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but before Ortiz was on the Red Sox, he was a mid-20s garbage can. He was with Minnesota, and he flat out was not good at playing baseball. From 1997 to 2002, Ortiz was on the Minnesota Twins. He played 15 games, 86, 10, 130, 89, and 125. In 2000, at the age of 24, when he played in 130 games, he hit 10 home runs for 63 RBIs and 478 plate appearances. In 2002, when he played 125 games and 466 plate appearances, he hit 20 home runs for 75 RBIs. He then went to Boston at the age of 27, and in essentially a bunch of full seasons, 128 games, 150, 159, 150, whatever. He was generally healthy for his entire stint in Boston. He started hitting 31 home runs, 41, 47, 54, 35, 23, 28. Like, 2004 to 2006, it is very clear that David Ortiz was probably using steroids. There is just no way his production from what he was doing in Minnesota for with the same pretty much the same amount of plate appearances to what he was doing in Boston could possibly be natural. There's just no way. And again, he was in the Mitchell report. Um he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame player. I think Manny Ramirez is better than him, but Manny Ramirez is never going to get in the Hall of Fame unfortunately. Um he is a Hall of Famer, but he does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame over Barry Bonds. And A-Rod. And I'm, I'm, I know Kirk Chilling, you could say that too. Roger Clemens also, but I'm talking strictly like hitters. Uh, Clemens deserves to be in, no question. 
Bonds deserves to be in. We all like people who are very well aware of the modern age of baseball understand what happened in the steroid era. It was a time steroids were not illegal. Bud Seeley let it run rampant because it boosted the ratings of baseball tremendously. Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire saved baseball post-lockout because the ratings were in the shitter, and then 97, 98, 99 rolled around, uh, even the year 2000. You have all three of those guys belting 60-plus home runs a year, putting on a show for everyone that goes to a ballpark every night to see them, and they really helped bring baseball out of the gutter. They did. It's undeniable what the steroid era did for in terms of the popularity of baseball. Now, years later, decades later, people crucify them and, and tell them they say they were cheating. It was illegal. It wasn't illegal at the time. But I think people forget to mention that. Um, and then this happens where Ortiz gets in and it's like, well, where is the line anymore? And it turns out the line is if you were nice to the media during your time as a player, you'll get in. The media didn't like A-Rod. The media didn't like Bonds. The media didn't like Clemens. The media liked David Ortiz. Now, I sat on this very podcast and said that I think Alex Rodriguez had a shot. Uh, I, I thought that he did a lot towards the end of his career to repair his reputation. And I think that he has done a tremendous job uh, in, in a, as a, a media guy, ironically, to fix his reputation even more. Um, I thought it was interesting that he congratulated David Ortiz on his Instagram, and I, I don't think he did anything for Jeter. I could be mistaken, and I could have missed it, but I don't think he said anything about Derek Jeter getting in. Um, A-Rod is a, is a good guy. He's a nice guy. He was a bit of a head case when he played. There's no question about that in his younger days. Uh, he even admits to that wholeheartedly, that he was a knucklehead. Uh, and he had an attitude problem and all of that. He was a diva. He was weird. Like, we know that. I, I think he's done enough. I, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't bode well that Bonds and Clemens didn't get in after 10 years on the ballot. And A-Rod, his first year on the ballot, gets 34%. That doesn't bode well. If he came in on his first year in the ballot and he was at like 60%, that would have been like, okay, you know, a few more years, a few different voters come in to replace others. He gets in pretty easily. But now it's like, who knows? Um, who, know, who knows if he gets in? Ideally, if there's any justice at some point in the future, the people who are in the Hall of Fame, who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, will get in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. All three of these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I kind of pulled Pete Rose out of nowhere, but he's a guy who was crucified by the MLB for gambling and stuff, even though he has the most hits of all time by a fucking landslide. He, he was unbelievable, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, they could... I, I know they still, like, retroactively put people in the Hall of Fame, and I'm hoping one day 
that one day when they're still alive. All right. Like I, I don't need Bonds and Clemens to be dead and then have them put them in the Hall of Fame because what the hell is that going to do? Right. Um, Roger Clemens put out some uh, some tweets. He's not big on Twitter, but he uh, he put out like, you know, a, a statement. If you will. About the process and all that and. Said, I figured I'd give a statement since it's that time of the year again. My family and I put the Hall of Fame in the rearview mirror 10 years ago. I didn't play baseball to get into the Hall of Fame. I played to make a generational difference in the lives of my family. Then focus on winning championships while giving back to my community and the fans as well. It was my passion. I gave it all I had the right way for my family and for the friends who supported me. I'm grateful for the support. I would like to thank those who took the time to look at the facts and vote for me. Hopefully everyone would can now close this book and keep their eyes moving Forward, uh, focusing on what is really important in life, all love. Good statement. Um, listen, man, I, if you just go to their baseball reference pages, like both Clemens and Bonds were Hall of Famers their first eight years, nine years, ten years in the league. Roger Clemens in his first ten years in the league, in his first seven years in the league, was already an MVP and a three-time Cy Young Award winner. First seven years in the league. Three Cy Youngs and an MVP. Already a Hall of Famer. He wins another two Cy Youngs back-to-back in Toronto. He wins a Cy Young with the Yankees. He wins another Cy Young with Houston later in his career. It's just, there's... it's, It's so ridiculous. Seven times Cy Young Award winner. An MVP, two-time World Series champion, uh, held the ERA title seven times, all-star game MVP. Like, there isn't a, a pitching accolade that this guy doesn't have. And it's the same thing with Barry Bonds. I mean, if you look from his first year in the league at the age of 21 in 1986, in his first seven years in the league to 1993, his first year with San Francisco, he was a three-time MVP. Four-time Gold Glove Award winner, Silver Sluggers. He won a Gold Glove, a Silver Slugger, and an MVP in three, three out of five straight years. He won Gold Glove and Silver Slugger and then three MVPs in five years. And then, of course, he had this, this is probably the peak, like real peak of his steroid use was his later years in San Francisco. when. He started hitting, you know, 73 home runs a year in that one year and then 40 plus in the in the preceding years at, you know, 36, 37 and 38 years old. He won four straight MVPs, 36, 37, 38 and 39 years old. He won four straight MVPs like, again, that's probably the peak of his steroid usage, but. Four straight MVPs. Could you even imagine a baseball player nowadays winning four straight MVPs? This is a guy. There's there's a stat that that starts circulating that was hilarious. By the way, David Ortiz's career on base percentage is 380. That's pretty good. You're getting on base 38 percent of the time. Like that's a pretty solid on base percentage. 
Barry Bonds career on base percentage, if you turned all 762 of his home runs into outs, is 384. Take every single home run he's ever hit, which is the most of all time, by the way, turn them into outs, he still has a higher on-base percentage than David Ortiz. This is a guy that got walked with the bases loaded because the Diamondbacks didn't want to pitch to him. And it worked. He has by far the most walks of all time, by far the most intentional walks of all time. He put up video game type numbers. He was flat out, by far and away, the most dangerous hitter of all time. I honestly don't understand how he doesn't have 3,000 hits, but whatever. I think he's like a couple hundred short of 3,000. He's incredible. Bottom line, no way to get around it. The guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Clemens deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, even if you nerf their numbers to a third, if you split up their career into thirds, they might be a Hall of Fame. Like, if you split it in half, they're absolutely Hall of Famers. Like I said, before they even reached 10 years service time in the league, they were, all, they were both Hall of Famers. It's a, a travesty that they did not get in. It is a disservice to the MLB, to the Baseball Hall of Fame, that they did not get in. I am pulling for A-Rod. I'm going to be pulling for A-Rod every single year when the ballots open. I'm going to hope and pray that the baseball writers find that they messed up with Bonds, they messed up with Clemens, let's put A-Rod in. Hell, let's retroactively put Bonds and Clemens in. You know, at one point, I hope that's, that's possible. Because um, I know they do retroactively still put guys into the Hall of Fame. So really, I don't understand what the ballot purpose is, but whatever. It, it's just, it's a travesty that Ortiz got first ballot and these guys didn't get in at all. It's a disservice to baseball and baseball fans. It really is. And I really think the Baseball Writers Association of America, BBWAA, needs to be completely gutted. Review everyone's credentials, look at the ballots, and people that sent one person in, get them out of there. People who sent no people in for their ballots, get them out of there. Those type of people do not deserve to have a vote. It is a privilege to be able to vote for the Hall of Fame. A privilege. And these people act like they are something above, right? They're, they're not. You having the, that privilege that so little people have to send in a ballot with one name on it with no names on it. Like, the Baseball Hall of Fame is the only Hall of Fame where people don't get in. Last year, not a single person made the Hall of Fame. How is that possible? Why does that happen? For reasons like I just said, people hand in blank ballots. They don't vote. If you want it, you have... You can vote up, I think, to I think up to 10 people, up to 10 votes that you have as a writer. If you want to do half, you send a ballot with half your votes. Okay. I, that's, I'll even accept that. Five, you vote four, five, six people. That's okay. 
but putting one name and sending it in, putting no names and sending it in, that's so obnoxious and so disrespectful to the entire process, and it makes everything a joke. It's not, it's not cool. It's not all right. It's very aggravating uh, from a, a fan perspective. Whatever. Uh, it's not, nothing's going to change right now. Uh, there's going to have to be some real, like, drive and push to change things. Because nothing's going to change with people just complaining on Twitter year after year about who got in and who didn't and seeing all these ballots being released. Like, it, nothing's going to change. There has to be a real push by someone of note. I'm hoping it's Jeff Passan because that guy knows what is important in baseball. Uh, he posted something the other day, and it's just, it, it's as simple as the greatest baseball player of all time deserves to be in the museum that demonstrates the greatest baseball players ever. Okay, super divisional round weekend. Uh, the divisional round was, like I said in the, in the beginning, maybe the best weekend of football that we've ever seen. Three out of the four games were decided by a field goal, a last second field goal, and the fourth and final game between the Bills and the Chiefs was tied with a field goal at the end of regulation by the Chiefs and then into overtime. So we'll, we'll start from the beginning, I guess. Bengals, Titans. I like the Bengals in this matchup. Um, I said going into the weekend last week that I think that this game is going to ride on Ryan Tannehill because I didn't think Derrick Henry was going to be 100%. In fact, there was no way he was going to be 100%. How many times could we really expect the Titans to run the ball with him? Uh, he got 20 carries for 62 yards. But I, I thought it would ride on Ryan Tannehill. And of course, he opens up the game with a horrible interception. First play of the game. Picked off. He ended up throwing three picks this game, 15-24. He did have an unbelievable touchdown pass to A.J. Brown. Like sensational throw back shoulder corner of the end zone like I think it was like a 40 yard touchdown throw too back shoulder it was it was insane and it was a ridiculous catch by AJ Brown as well um so there's times where he can he can do that and then there's times where he just makes really bad decisions and he had at least two of his three picks were really really bad and then the other one was an incredible play by uh, Mike Hilton, I believe it was. He knocked it up. He, he blitzed off the edge. Tannehill tried to throw a screen, which they're throwing a screen like inside the five, I think it was, which was really weird. Or they were at like the, in, they were inside the 10 and they were trying to throw a screen. Um, and Tannehill tried to throw with Hilton coming hot off the edge. Hilton batted it up in the air um, and he picked it off. So that was just uh, an incredible play by him. But still, for Ryan Tannehill, you got to know if, if you're trying to throw a screen and you see this guy blitzing unguarded off the edge, like maybe just try and tuck and run or pump fake and get him up in the air and then try and run away. Don't try and, and force it past him when he knows you're, 
when he sees you're about to throw it. You know, he's going to jump. So that was, I don't blame him that much for that, but, you know. Uh, Joe Burrow threw for 348 yards, but he didn't have a touchdown. He did have one interception. Joe Mixon had a nice touchdown run where he made a crazy cutback to the left. Uh, Jamar Chase had, I believe, he had 109 yards receiving, and I think it was like 95 of them or 90 of them were all yards after the catch. So he his yak potential is off the charts. Uh, but Evan McPherson is the player of the, he's the MVP of this game because the Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times. And there were multiple times where you really thought, well, that just knocked him out of field goal range. Joe Burrow, you can't take that sack. And then out comes uh, Evan McPherson to kick a 45-yard field goal, 54-yard field goal. Uh, he had four field goals made on the day, and that includes a 52-yard field goal to win the game. And, of course, there was that very popular quote. Uh, apparently, he did a couple sideline warm-up kicks and said, well, I guess we're going to the AFC Championship game. And then he trotted out onto the field and nailed it. A rookie with confidence like that, rookie kicker, confidence like that, that is huge. A, a kicker, doesn't matter what year you are, a kicker with confidence like that is huge come playoff time because Evan McPherson essentially won this game for the Bengals. Because let's say if he misses even one of these field goals, this game might end differently. It certainly doesn't end in a, in a Bengals win in regulation. It might go into overtime, whatever. But he was 4 for 4, uh, including his long. He had two 50-plus yard field goals. Like, the kid's a weapon. He's an absolute weapon. Uh, and now the Bengals, regardless of who won the Bills and Chiefs game, they are going to have to go be the visiting team. Um, but they are going to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs, which they beat the Chiefs. Just a few weeks ago, um, that was in Cincinnati. So now going to Arrowhead, different atmosphere. Uh, you have Mahomes, who's been there for four straight years in the AFC Championship game, uh, along with the rest of the Chiefs and Andy Reid. It's going to be a tough, tough matchup for Burrow and the Bengals, but I'm rooting for them. You know, would I love to see the Rams and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? Yes, absolutely. But I would also love to see Joe Burrow make a Super Bowl. In his second year. That would be freaking insane. The second game on Saturday. Niners. Packers. Just an absolute debacle. Um, the Packers secondary. Has been objectively bad. All year. Mason Crosby has missed. Probably the most field goals. He's ever missed in his career. Uh, and they just. The unit was sloppy. And they just were not good. And it ended up being the unit. That cost them this game. Not, you know, there are multiple game, multiple things happen in a football game that you can point to, but the Packers' defense played out of their minds. They allowed no touchdowns from the offense and just uh, six total points, which one of those, three of those six points happened to be the game-winning field goal. But it was essentially ten to three Packers all game, and in the fourth quarter. There's a blocked punt, picked up, Packers can't locate it, Niners pick it up, and they run it in for a touchdown. Uh, this punt was taking place inside the Packers' own 10-yard line, so no one, knew, no one knew where it got blocked from, where the ball went, 
Uh, Niners pick it up and run it in. And there you go. It's a 10-10 game, and all the momentum gets sucked out of the Packers. Niners get the ball back. They get into field goal range. Robbie Gold knocks it through. 45-yard field goal to win the game for Robbie Gold and the 49ers, who are somehow, someway, with Jimmy G just being 11-19 for 131 yards and an interception, somehow, someway, are in the NFC Championship game going against their division rival Rams. Listen, I'll sit here and gush about the Niners for a bit. Don't think a lot of people picked them to be in the NFC Championship game. Uh, They were the sixth seed coming in. They definitely have their problems offensively, especially with Jimmy G, who's highly criticized. But if you look at his resume, the guy wins football games. I don't know what to tell you. When Jimmy G is healthy, when he's a healthy starting 49ers quarterback, the 49ers are good. Their worst seasons in the past couple years, their worst stretches have come when Jimmy G is not playing. I, 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 I don't know how else to put it. He, he, he wins games for them. Like as, When he is their starting quarterback, the 49ers win games. I'm not going to sit here and say he wins games because he's not the type of quarterback to put a team on his back and make the throws and make the touchdown plays and all that. But when he is their starting quarterback, they win games. And if they get to another Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, I just simply do not see how you move on. They don't even have to win the Super Bowl. But if they get to the Super Bowl, if they somehow upset the Packers and the Rams in back-to-back weeks and get to the Super Bowl, Jimmy G, he needs to be on the Niners. Like, And you can sit here and say, well, if we had another quarterback, if we had so-and-so, then we would have won the Super Bowl, sure, hypothetically, but your only real other viable option right now is Trey Lance. And do you really think Trey Lance is better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Because I personally don't. From what I saw from Trey Lance when he did play, I I didn't like it. I know he's a very big work in progress, but I I, I just, I, I don't know if he's a... If he's legitimately a better option than Jimmy Garoppolo, I really don't know. Uh, What I do know is the running attack for the Niners is relentless. Their defense is arguably the best defense left in the entire playoffs. Um, They're probably going to go against arguably the first or second best defense with the Rams. Like they are probably the two best defenses left in the entire. I mean, not probably. They are the two best defenses left. In the entire playoffs. Because the Bengals and Chiefs do not have better defenses than the Niners and the Rams. They just don't. The Rams and Bucks, uh, Insane start to Sunday as well. Uh, these two games were way more high scoring than the Saturday slate of games. But Rams, Bucks, Rams got off to a huge lead. And everyone except Matt Stafford tried to throw this game away. And I say that specifically... Because a lot of people thought that Stafford against Brady, if you had to pick, you're picking Stafford to make the mistakes. You're picking him to make the boneheaded play, inexperience, yada, yada. Stafford played a flawless game. And he had the best throw of the game with almost no time on the clock, a deep ball to Cooper Cup because the Bucs had completely terrible busted coverage where they had one-on-one with Cooper Cup. Over the top, Stafford lays in a beautiful ball. Cup catches it. They get to the line. They spike it. Matt Gay kicks a field goal to win the game. However, it wasn't that 
wasn't like all smooth sailing, you know? So Matt Stafford was playing great. It looks like the Rams are going to coast. Cam Akers fumbles before the half. The Rams don't get any points. That's big. Then, Cooper Cup fumbles. Bucks fail to score. Bucks kick a field goal. I think it is. They kick a field goal. Rams get the ball. Cooper Cup fumbles. Bucks get the ball. They score. Then Rams get the ball back again. And Cam Akers fumbles for a second time. I felt bad for Cam Akers this game. He looks good. I'm glad he's back. I'm glad, I'm glad he's getting carries. But he had two fumbles. The second one being really bad. Uh, stripped. Just running up the middle. Completely ripped out of his hands. Bucks get the ball. And Leonard Fournette on, I think, a fourth and one. Everyone's thinking Tom Brady sneak. They hand the ball off to Fournette. He makes one guy miss. And he cuts to the outside and strolls in for a touchdown to tie the game. And this is what happens. The Rams get the ball back, uh, and Stafford makes that throw to Cooper Cup. Matt Gay ends up kicking the, the field goal to win. An incredible game, and in a game where it's like, you blew your lead to Tom Brady at home, it just felt like, you know, we've seen that before. There's just no way that when Tom Brady ties that game, there's just, I don't think there was a single person saying, well, the Rams can, can march down the field here pretty quickly and maybe kick a field goal. Because that's just not the way things were going. Uh, you had things going great for them, and then three fumbles that benefit the Bucs. One at the end of the half that you get away with no points. And then two that result in Tampa Bay touchdowns. Now, there was a moment there too where instead of going for it on like fourth and three, whatever it was, fourth and four, Bruce Arians decided to kick the field goal. And even myself, I was like, I don't know if, they, if you should kick the field goal here. Don't you need a touchdown? But they kicked the field goal. And then what happened? They get two straight fumbles, both touchdowns resulting, and you end up tying the game. If you didn't kick that field goal, and you went for it, and you didn't convert, then this game probably doesn't end up ever getting tied. So it ended up, the kicking the field goal at that time uh, ended up being the right decision for Bruce Arians and the Bucks because they ended up tying it. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it was blown coverage between the players, if it was bad, a bad play call, but you let Cooper Cup get one-on-one streaking down the field and I think it was Antoine Winfield Jr. just had no shot to keep up with him. And Matt Stafford laid a beautiful ball right into the hands of Cooper Cup. The Rams did a great job hustling up to the line of scrimmage to get the spike. Um, a weird moment, too, by the way. Matt Gay hit the game-winning field goal. But before that, Gay had, he left a 47-yard field goal short, which was just really bizarre. It's, it, it, they were playing in Tampa. It wasn't cold. There was no wind. 47-yard field goal. Left it short. Just a, a bizarre thing that I, I wanted to mention because it just... I don't think I've ever seen anything like that within the past, like, 10 years of football. 45 yards, 46, 47 yards. Like, that's pretty standard. If... Like, lengthwise, if, if you're a kicker, if you're missing that, you're missing left or you're missing right. Like, 99% of kickers aren't coming up short on 47 yards. 
just very weird. And I wanted to mention it. I don't, I don't know if he was hurt or anything, but it's it just, it was odd. Very odd. Huge win for the Rams. Huge win for Matt Stafford. I'm excited to see them go to the NFC Championship game. I need them to beat the Niners, and I need them in the Super Bowl preseason pick. I feel good about it. Uh, yeah, they, like they've, they've been playing great. Their offense is well-oiled. The defense is suffocating. Uh, we also had a play that I thought was interesting. Eric Weddle, who came out of retirement to sign with the Rams, had a horrible penalty. And these are stipulations in the rules that are, are, are it makes sense. And, and the rule, I think, was correctly penalized, but it just felt wrong. It was a fourth and whatever, fourth and something. Brady threw a pass down the sideline to Mike Evans. And he overthrew it. Evans ended up kind of batting the ball away from Jalen Ramsey. And then after the ball, just as the ball hit the ground, Eric Weddle came and had a helmet-to-helmet hit on Mike Evans. Immediately the flag came out. Totally illegal. However, because the ball had hit the ground and it wasn't up in the air, wasn't a live ball, the ball hit the ground, the play was dead. So because technically the play was dead, that hit by Eric Weddle is a personal foul, late hit, and it's not an automatic 15 yards in the first down. Because it was fourth down, it's technically a turnover on downs and then 15 yards added to the play from where it starts, which is, like, you're looking at that and you're like, that doesn't make sense, but it kind of makes perfect sense. The way it happened... If you're a Bucks fan, you're furious. If you're a Rams fan, you're relieved. Uh, and it was just a, a bizarre play, another bizarre play where you're like, wow, that is just like, it makes sense, but it shouldn't, you know? Anyway, I'm happy for the Rams. Uh, like I said, preseason Super Bowl favorite for me. Uh, there's a lot of circulation and rumors going on about Tom Brady's future and is this it? Is he going to retire? Is he going to hang it up? I think those are so out of pocket. I mean, this dude just won a Super Bowl last year, and now why? Because he lost in the divisional round to probably the second best, if not the first best team in the entire NFC. Now he suddenly, you know, is what's his future hold? Come on, man. Unless he ever hints at otherwise, Tom Brady's not just going to retire, okay? There's going to be a whole farewell tour and this is my last season and rejoicement and all that kind of stuff like there's no way he's just gonna be like yeah I think I'm gonna retire now you know this is it uh, I'm not coming back no it's simply just not gonna happen so Adam Scheffner puts out these stupid tweets that piss me off so much about it where he's like his future is uncertain or whatever like shut up Adam shut up he's coming back you know Brady's gonna retire when he says he's gonna retire like, stop with the speculation. You're not going to be able to, you know how we, the media and, and the public kind of forced Peyton Manning retire after he won the Super Bowl because he wasn't that good that year. They forced Drew Brees to retire. Other quarterbacks like that who kind of lose arm strength and aren't as effective or productive like Brees and like Peyton, we kind of forced them to retire. Phillip Rivers, same thing. Uh, that's not going to happen with Brady. You know, he's going to retire when he wants to retire. You know, we're not going to be able to force him. So just leave it alone. All right. 
uh, the final and best game of the divisional round. Bills, Chiefs, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it was like the ending of this game was just unfathomable. Like it was just so good. Gabriel Davis had a career day, 201 yards and four touchdowns for Gabriel Davis. Tyreek Hill had 150 yards. Both quarterbacks led their teams in rushing as well. Allen had 68 yards. Mahomes had 69 yards and a touchdown. Both of them had four touchdowns each. Allen threw for four. Mahomes threw for three and ran for one. Like they were just gunning it back and forth towards the end of this game. The final two minutes had, I think, 18 or the final minute and 18 seconds, I think, had a total of 18 points scored. No, the final two minutes with a minute and 54 seconds. The Bills scored. There were three TDs and a touchdown in the final two minutes of this game. And now, of course, the big one being that Gabriel Davis scores his fourth touchdown from Josh Allen with just 13 seconds left on the clock. Uh, The Bills elect not to squib it, which would have burned off at least three or four seconds. They elect not to squib it. Chiefs get the ball at 25. I think one timeout or no timeouts. Uh, 13 seconds. They get a big chunk with Tyreek Hill. They get a big chunk with Travis Kelsey, which has now been proven uh, from like NFL films that it was an improvised route because Travis Kelsey talked to Mahomes before the play and noticed, you know, hey, they're playing this defense. The seam's wide open. I'm just going to do my own thing. And Patrick Mahomes was like, yeah, do your thing, do your thing. And then apparently at the line of scrimmage, Mahomes was yelling, do it, do it, do it, to Travis Kelsey, telling him to do what he wanted to do, run up the seam because they were giving it to him. That's exactly what he did. Mahomes pump faked. He found him, adjusted route, nailed uh, a great pass to him. And then Butker came in and kicked a 49-yard field goal to tie the game at 36. Chiefs win the coin toss and get a... Huge pickup from McCole Hardman, and then a big touchdown to the corner of the end zone, right side corner of the end zone to Travis Kelsey for the win. Josh Allen never touches the ball in overtime, and it is a heartbreaking and devastating loss for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I I really felt for them. My heart broke for Josh Allen. He is incredible. I mean, he, he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback. and. The Bills absolutely deserve to win that game. Um, but the Chiefs just did not die. And you had probably an all-time, not probably, you had an absolute all-time quote from Andy Reid, who told Patrick Mahomes before he took the field with 13 seconds left, when it's grim, be the grim reaper. I mean, that that is hard. That is an unbelievably wicked hard quote like that is oh (laughs) like fire 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 quote that is sick that's something you get on the tombstone bro like that is awesome uh very motivational i don't know if that's a saying from something or he just made that up on the spot but that is that like poets don't come up with shit like that right so that was that was great um and mahomes of course he is the grim reaper 13 seconds left two big plays 
to the two biggest offensive threats on the KC offense with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, the two go-to, the two safety blankets, get two big plays, and then Butker nails the field goal. There was debate after the game about overtime rules and they need to change the overtime rules. I think this overtime is the only way it works. If you're going to change the overtime rules, there are two ways that I would suggest, and neither one of them should be implemented in the regular season. I think the overtime rules are perfect for regular season football. And then, of course, when you get a game like that, and it ends without one of those quarterbacks touching the football, you're devastated, you're annoyed because you want more. I get why that's happening. So, if either one of these rules were to be implemented, they would strictly have to be for playoff football, not regular season football. So, if it changes, one, you can give the teams an entire 15-minute quarter, brand new quarter, Three timeouts each, or two timeouts each, maybe even one timeout, whatever you want to do with the timeouts is different, but you give them a full quarter and just let them play it out. Let them play out a full quarter. Defense needs to get stops. That's fine. You're not at risk of a team running out the clock till very late, whatever. You have a full quarter of new football. Whoever ends the quarter winning the game wins. And you can just end it like that. Or you can adapt some college rules where each team gets the ball and if they keep scoring touchdowns, it just goes back and forth until a team doesn't score. Um, So ideally here, right, uh, if if the Chiefs score that touchdown with Kelsey, then the Bills get the ball back and they would have to score a touchdown. Otherwise, it wouldn't work, right? And then, say, hypothetically, the Bills scored a touchdown, Chiefs get the ball back. If they kick a field goal, then the Chief, uh, the Bills would either have to tie It would kind of be like just an extension of the rules we have now, except if the Bills t- got the ball back and tied it, a field goal wouldn't win it for the Chiefs. They would still have to stop Buffalo, which then if Buffalo were to score a touchdown, they would win. So it's kind of just a little bit tweaking of the rules that they have in place now, whereas Buffalo is guaranteed another possession, regardless of if the Chiefs score a touchdown or not. And then after that, it's like you have to make a stop. That kind of gives each team the chance to continue scoring the football, and it gives the Bills a chance to get the ball back when the Chiefs get the ball first. Now, in that sense, Hypothetically, if the Bills stopped the Chiefs on that opening drive, then a field goal would win it for them because the Chiefs got the ball first. So they have a possession advantage. So a a Bills field goal would win it there. The Chiefs wouldn't get a chance to tie the Bills. So that's kind of something that they could do, but I don't. Personally, I don't think it should change at all. I think it should cha- it should stay exactly the way it is. Um, I think it's perfectly fair. Obviously, defense is a part of the game. The Bills have two all-pro safeties, and they just unfortunately were not able to make a stop. They couldn't stop with 13 seconds left in regulation, and they couldn't stop them in overtime. It is what it is. And I, again, I'm devastated for the Bills. I'm devastated for Josh Allen. I really wanted them 
to win that game because personally, if the Bills got past the Chiefs, that's it. There's no question about it. They're going to the Super Bowl and they're probably going to win the Super Bowl. But now with the Chiefs, um, I'm pulling for the Bengals, but like obviously they're the Chiefs, so I, I'm pulling for the Bengals, but I'm not betting it again. I'm not betting against Kansas City. This is not happening. Uh, and then the Niners and Rams divisional matchup. Kyle Shanahan has had Sean McVay's number. Sometimes there are just certain coaches that outcoach other coaches, and Shanahan has McVay's number. So McVay's got to figure something out here. Uh, and the Rams, I, I need a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl. I need it. They're like, If it's Bengals-Rams, fine. I, I cannot have the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Credit to Jimmy G and the Niners for making it this far. I don't think anyone other than maybe Niners fans believed in them to make it to the NFC Championship game. But they're here. Tip of the cap. Salute. Whatever. Cannot have them in the Super Bowl. Can't have it. I need two high-powered offenses in the Super Bowl. I need the Chiefs, and I need the Rams. High-powered offenses, Rams defense is suffocating, and the Chiefs defense has been on a roll. Uh, obviously, defense kind of went out the window at the end of that Buffalo game, but um, if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl, they'll definitely have Tyron Matthew back I think I don't know if he's gonna play this Sunday I'm not sure what his status is because he did leave like the second play of the game he got kicked in the helmet by his teammate and left with a concussion so uh we'll see if he ends up being healthy enough to play on Sunday if he clears protocol I don't know what his status is so those are my picks for the uh conference championship matchup Rams and Chiefs, although I am pulling for the Bengals. I need to specify. I'm rooting for the Bengals, but I would probably bet on the Chiefs. Um, well, betting's legal, so I could kind of put my money where my mouth is. Uh, anyway, a couple other football news that I wanted to talk about before I got into all of the games. Sean Payton announces that he is stepping down as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints after 16 years, one Super Bowl. Uh, several impressive regular seasons, uh, a couple not so impressive regular seasons, but he has been there for a long time. He turned that franchise into a perennial contender, him and Drew Brees, of course. Uh, and after one year without Drew Brees and his quarterback tearing his ACL, he decides to step away. He is still under contract with New Orleans until 2024. So if he were to decide to come back and be a coach, the Saints would have to be comp uh, compensated for that. So my guess is he's going to step back, chill out for a couple years. When his contract's up, if he wants to take a coaching position somewhere, he can come back and do so freely. Because it was very, the wording, the language used in the press conference was Sean Payton is stepping down as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Not that he was retiring. He was just stepping down. So that makes me think he's just going to take a little bit of a hiatus and then come back. But who knows? Kind of just up, up in the air. It's a, it's a question. Also, the Giants' new GM is Joe Shane, former assistant GM of the Buffalo Bills. He spent five years there. It's his 20th year in the league. He was previously with the Dolphins in the front office as director of player personnel. Um, and he is a reason why many people think Brian Dabble 
the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, is going to be the next head coach of the New York Giants. Uh, there's also heavy rumors about Brian Flores. That's all still in the works, but obviously having the former assistant GM of the Bills be the new GM of the Giants bodes well, you would think, for hiring someone like Brian Dabble to be the head coach of the Giants. And, of course, he's very good. Uh, the Bills' offense is very good, and they don't have a running back. And they are potent. Obviously, Josh Allen is leagues above Daniel Jones in terms of talent and what he can do at the quarterback position. So you don't really need a running back when you got Josh Allen running over people and injuring them uh, and just flat out knocking them out as a runner. So obviously it's different, but having Saquon Barkley, I'm sure, would be nice for Brian Dabble. I, I, I would like to have a offensive-minded coach as the head coach who has a track record of success, of running successful offenses. Because you just had the Panthers hire Ben McAdoo, who has been, he was horrible with the, with the Giants. Horrible. The Giants' offense was bad. So, good luck to Carolina with that one. Uh, yeah, so those are the two news things that I wanted. Uh, Shane got hired a, a few days ago. He's the new GM of the Giants. Still waiting on the head coach. End off on this note, Attack on Titan is going to be going into one of the best arcs in all of anime, which is the Paths arc. Um, I read it. I read the manga. I know how it ends. And I know there's rumors that there's going to be a different ending, but I highly, highly, highly doubt that. So, and Euphoria. I think Sydney Sweeney might uh Sydney Sweeney might win an Emmy for this season of Euphoria because she is all kinds of messed up. Her her character Cassie with Nate and that love triangle and oof. We also got uh Mr. Jacobs, Cal Jacobs. We got backstory on him. Um he's gay or closeted or bi, whatever, I don't know. Uh but he had a best friend who he ended up making out with at a gay bar before they went off to college. And then his girlfriend, who happens to be the mom, got pregnant, which I don't really know, understand if we're... Like, how much older is... Because Nate has an older brother who's not really in the show, but we see him in the family portraits and stuff hanging on the walls. So... We're supposed to believe that Cal and his wife had a kid at 18, even though he looks like he's well into his 50s. Uh, and where he's, he's supposed to be in his late thirties, early forties, like how much older is Nate's brother? Cause Nate's in high school, he's 17. So there's no way there's like a 18 year difference between them. Just obviously not a shot in the world. So I'm not sure where they're going with that. That was kind of a weird, uh, twist, but whatever. All right, that'll do it for this episode of, from my point of view. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you as always. Conference Championship weekend this Sunday. Very excited. And we're going to get a banger of an episode of Attack on Titan on Sunday as well. So, just... Sundays have been, uh... Pun intended, euphoric for me. Because I go from watching football, to watching Attack on Titan, to watching Euphoria. All in the same day. It's phenomenal. It really is. 
Some maybe not always in that order. Sometimes it's football and then euphoria and then Attack on Titan, whatever. It, it's always awesome. It's just it's a great day. It's a great day. I'm savoring every moment. Okay, so I'll do it for this episode. I'll talk to you all next Wednesday. 